excitement can it can predicate great change or it can predicate paralysis if people are too excited for a situation whether it's positive or negative sometimes people just freeze up other times it facilitates and accelerates change in these massive beautiful ways but that can also be met with great disdain or response in a negative way so yeah definitely an exciting time really really exciting time terrifying but exciting nonetheless people will be in the middle of their interview like half an hour in and they're just like wait have we started and mark's like yeah and they're like but you didn't say hello he's like i do that later <laughs> like, wait are we recording is it on This is uh, Suspect. We're in episode four now. We are coming at you with a little bit different of a format this time. All three of us, by all three of us, Hillary and I sat down with uh, Modu Cham and we had a great conversation with him. And it was a little bit different than the existing interviews that we've done in that we had much more open communication, a lot more of this roundtable discussion. And while we hit all the major points that we did with Avantika and Manelli, this just, it changed the way that the interview went. And I think it was, it was good. Along those lines, that's once again, why I really like this podcasting format is because we can kind of do whatever we want with it and we can evolve, we can change, we can have shorter episodes, we can have longer episodes as necessitated by the content which we are discussing. I keep on saying this episode after episode, but we've gotten really, really lucky with the way that events have been unfolding with this presidential election, with the Supreme Court nominations, with the moratorium on emissions from power plants, Right now, we are at a point where there's a lot of really interesting things happen happening politically. I hope that the conversation about sustainability and the underlying tones of sustainable operations isn't getting lost within the politics of all of this, because at the core of it, we've said time and time again that sustainability is not the silver bullet. It's the silver buckshot, as Hillary brings up. That being said, it needs to be this integrated part of operations in which it enriches industries, it enriches livelihoods, not as a standalone feature, but rather as something that is integrated into the ultimate design and operations and management 
of everyday life. So with that, welcome to Suspect. This is episode four. I'm David Hugens. I'm Hilary Osborne. Welcome back. Thank you for listening, guys. We appreciate your support, as always. Like I said, we're getting really lucky in that this presidential primary is, it's crazy. It's at this point now where I don't know what's happening. At this point, the real questionable situation and where the chaos really lies is within the Republican Party and what they're going to do if Trump ends up winning the most delegates, which at this point he is. He's at 743, Cruz is at 517, Kasich has 143, which David has noted on the whiteboard in parentheses next to Kasich. Colin, 143 delegates, in parentheses, can't win. That's the thing. He can't get the nomination outright just by delegates. Right now, as it stands, he would have to win something like 105% of the remaining delegates, and I just don't see that happening. But in that case, that means that Ted Cruz is going to be, if the Republican Party decides not to endorse Trump, which is what everyone's talking about, this contested convention, we've been talking about it too, that means that they're going to endorse Cruz, right? That's what it looks like. And Vox did this really great piece where they started asking conservatives, what do you think of Donald Trump and would you vote for him? And some of the responses were just outright no, never. I would never do such a thing. But on the flip side of that, when they asked, would you vote for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump? A lot of them responded, "I'd, I'd rather die. So we have this situation in American politics now, which I think is becoming very detrimental in that people are voting strictly along party lines despite their best interests. No longer are they even saying, oh, I think the Republican Party has my best interest at heart, but rather they refuse to acknowledge a situation in which the opposing party, unfortunately in this two-party system that we have, poses such a threat to them and their livelihoods, they can't even imagine ever endorsing something like that. So obviously we are dealing with this system that is is going through a lot of turmoil. I think the fallout to that is going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting. I don't know what it holds, but at the same time, I wouldn't say that I'm excited for it. I'm going to make a prediction or just pose this as a possibility. Because in the past, I think there's been a push to get young voters out there, that the youth vote is important, but that it's not been engaged properly in some past elections. I mean, I voted in both the elections that I was capable of voting in, but I remember that being a big push when I was coming of age to vote is that, you know, people my age felt apathetic and wouldn't participate. And now it's like, what if because of the climate that's going on with the current elections, it's that older traditional conservatives and traditional Democrats decide that they don't want to vote just because they don't want to participate because they feel like everything's going to shit. And so, but the youth vote is super engaged because of Bernie Sanders, first of all. So it's really, it's going to be like a massive turnout for the younger vote, but that older people aren't going to vote. It'll be like a flip. So this reverse apathy almost? Yeah. And like a flip from the past where it's been historically that older people are the ones that tend to vote and younger people don't engage. And once again, I'm seeing this response, I'm seeing this idea that maybe the system is, I really try to avoid saying broken because we do have a system in which a lot of good gets done. I think that gets lost sometimes. We have things like the Clean Air Act, 
like the Transportation Act, like the Recovery Act, things that are very good for the American public, for the American people. And I hesitate to bash the system too much because I do know that it does provide and supplement a lot of opportunities and engage a lot of individuals in creative, in constructive manners, and we can't discount that. Specifically, I mean, I know that I feel like we keep saying this, but Bernie Sanders is like considering his, he doesn't even really call it a campaign, he calls it a movement, and I think that it's interesting because a lot of people are jumping on board, obviously, but he's encouraging Hillary Clinton to talk about things that I don't think she necessarily would. And I feel that the two-party system and the way that we speak about politics can be very detrimental to the system as a whole. I think that's been a running theme for my commentary this entire time, that unless we are having progressive, constructive conversation, it can be considered detrimental. We need to be considering how to build moving forward rather than administering fixes in the future. And I think that's something that I've really looked at sustainability in that there's so many opportunities for people to go, oh, we have a solution for this problem. Maybe instead of solutions to existing problems, we start designing systems that don't have these problems to begin with. I know that's a very lofty goal, but I was speaking in a class just last night, and we're talking about all of these measures to reduce waste, to reduce energy consumption. And one of the examples was trying to get people to take the stairs more than escalators. And while that's not necessarily directed right at sustainability, it is directed at public health. And the way that they went around doing this, and this was in Sweden, I believe, they installed basically an interactive piano on all the stairs. And once people figured it out, they started taking the stairs just for fun as compared to the escalator, which I think was a great social experiment. My response to that would be, that's ridiculous, just rip out the damn escalator. Yeah, it would be a way to save energy too. It's like, well, then why have the escalator? While I am a huge, huge believer in technology, I think that the issues that we face can be solved predominantly with technological fixes, but not necessarily we're going to solve a problem. We're going to use technology and engineering and creativity to design systems with the knowledge that we're going to be avoiding certain issues, not trying to fix things that are already in existence. So one of the things that I've recently seen was edible utensils. Edible it's, spoons and forks. And I look at that and I... Do people actually want to eat their utensils? And while it's this cool, quirky concept, ultimately, the way I see it, it's just clickbait. And it's like as though that's going to incentivize people to not throw those things away. It's like I'm sure just as many people are going to throw them away. There's no way that those edible spoons taste good. I don't know that people will be incentivized by things like that. And one of the things that... Compostable, though. Like a compostable utensil, sure. But then... Well, even then, the issue with compostable items is a lot of them rely on a system of composting that is a little energy intensive. It's known as hot composting. And for the most part, hot composting is not as prevalent and available 
especially to major city centers. Explain hot composting as opposed to just regular composting. Regular composting is where you legitimately just take your leftover organic material and keep it in a bucket or something. Yeah, it goes in a pile somewhere else. Yeah. So it waste scraps of any sort are minus meat are collected. They're basically thrown into a pile and turned over every once in a while. That's just traditional composting. Hot composting is done in a controlled environment in, you, in which it's usually covered. Usually they have aerators and air circulation, and it's done at a way that rapidly accelerates the breakdown of these organic materials, which is great, but it takes infrastructure. And a lot of the time, people who have access to these compostable items they think that that's it. Oh, I have this compostable item. Perfect. They're still throwing it away in the trash, though. Because they don't understand how it works. So once this is what I'm talking about. These are these Band-Aid fixes that people are just throwing at people, saying, oh, you're green, you're sustainable now, you're using compostable items. But it hasn't changed the system. The system is still operating on the assumption that someone else is going to deal with it or that we can fix it later on down the road. But I think that there's this expectation that we can fix existing problems without addressing the inherent design flaws that exist all around us. Also, it's like everyone already has spoons and forks. I just, I don't know, alternatives, things like that, where it's like, this is an alternative. And it's like, if something already exists, like, as an institution having silverware, it's like, why try to reinvent it? I'm sure that energy and innovation can be used elsewhere. I don't know. Well, we could continue going on and on and on, but we do want to leave time for the great conversation that we had with Modu. And I think that you'll really enjoy that. So we're going to go to that, and we hope you enjoy. Once again, thank you for... I'm going to keep on using the term tune in. I know that it's not applicable to podcasting, but it just, it rolls off the tongue nicely. Thanks for clicking in, guys. That almost sounds dirty. now with myself and Hillary and Modu Chong. Hello. And we're going to sit down with Modu. We're, we have some questions for him. We're going to talk about him, his background, how we got to uh, here in terms of his professional life, his personal life, what he's doing now, both in terms professionally and academically. And we'll see where it goes. So... How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Um, Thank you so much for having me on. This is amazing. You're partly living my dream. (laughs) This idea is just great. So quite excited. We're happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Seriously. um, I used to do this um, somewhat of an interview show with um, an organization called Africa Connect Online. Um, They they worked with UN Women during the He For She campaign and I did some interviews with them. So 
really, really excited to be here. This is cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Absolutely. And yeah, let's get into it. So we know a little bit of your background just Absolutely. by having classes with you. Absolutely. Um, so just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of, I don't want to say start from the beginning, but give us some background on you. Okay, um, I'll start where I'm from and, you know, what I do now. Um, from the Gambia, West Africa, and I came to the U.S. when I was 13 years old. And when I came to the U.S., I moved to Norristown, Pennsylvania, where my brother um, lived for 10 years before I moved there. So he had already established himself, and he worked for the King of Prussia Mall as the maintenance manager. And he learned, um, he, he essentially got that job by learning Spanish from his girlfriend because he spoke Spanish and English and the amount of, um, you know, Spanish workers that worked at the King of Prussia Mall. So I lived with him while I was going to Norristown High School. And I essentially wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. So I joined this um, allied health program that we have with um, uh, a, a technical school in the area. Yeah, so I wanted to be a doctor because my uncle was a doctor. Um, and I, when I was a child, I looked up to him. You know, was a great guy in Gambia, had his own practice, which was a family practice called Mumuru Masai Memorial Hospital. And I wanted to be just like him. But then I realized when I um, was in community college, in Montgomery County Community College, that I don't like biology. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like chemistry. <laughs> I don't really like those subjects. And I like politics. <laughs> I like political science. And I spoke to one of my professors and he basically told me, you know, dig deep in and study what you like, do what you want, you know, study what you like. And I loved watching the news when I was a child. Uh, my uncles would gather around, they would watch CNN on Fridays. They would watch it, you know, eat some food, talk, all this trash and stuff, <laughs> you know, very, very exciting. So I was like, you know, maybe I should take a science class. And the first international relations um, class that I took was great you know a lot of arguing in the class a lot of discussions and yeah from that point on i've been on, on this path nice yeah. so, so did you you studied political science that was your specialty yes yeah, so your, after your major? yes after montgomery county community college i transferred to westchester university in pennsylvania and of pennsylvania and i my major there was political science and international relations and i minored in french but I don't speak French. <laughs> but you got the minors. So yes, I, I do understand French and I can, you know, write in French and all that stuff, but it's really hard to, you know, the, to, the, the verbal accuracy of, of the French language is quite hard. So yes, um, that's what I studied at Westchester University and it was great. I loved studying international relations. My professors were great. You know, I had a professor by the name of Yuri Polsky. He's world famous at Westchester and he just stands in class for an hour or two and just tells you about politics. I'm like, how does this man do this? Never looked at notes, never looked at a book. Every single class class just stood there and talked about politics. Wow. Yeah. And so how did that segue into getting here? Right. So um, after I graduated, I spoke to one of my um, other professors, Professor Stevenson. And she introduced me to the mayor of Westchester, who is Mayor Carolyn Committer. Mayor Committer is on the board of the organization I'm with now called World Information Transfer. And Mayor Committer, um, she couldn't, I, I spoke to her, I was like, you know, please give me a recommendation. I really, really want to be with this organization. 
She's like, I really can't give you a recommendation, Mark, but I can introduce you to the CEO. And she introduced me to the chair and CEO of the organization. And her name is Dr. Christine Dorbach. And, you know, we, we, we spoke on, uh, we sent a few emails back and forth. And she said, yes, you know, you can, you can come start next week. This was in June 2013. I'm like, I really can't yet. You know, <laughs> I had a full-time job and had an apartment, you know. It took a while to actually move all the way to New York City. So I told her, I mean, I, I'm ready to be in New York, but maybe in September of 2013. And yeah, since I've been with the organization since September 2013, I started as an intern. Okay. Yeah. So what's your position there? What is it that you do a bit more specifically, if you if you can elaborate? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm currently the administrator of the organization. So I do office management, um, personnel management. Basically, I just help the CEO in all the functions of the organization. And so let me just start by explaining what World Information Transfer is. Um, we're an NGO in general consultative status with the United Nations Economic and Social Council. We also work with the Department of Public Information. We have a status there as well. And um, we promote environmental health and literacy, as well as sustainable development. And we do this through a few functions. One is with our conferences. Um, just to do a little shameless plug, we have a conference coming up on April 26th at the United Nations in Conference Room 1. Um, the conference is from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, people can go register for the conference at worldinfo.org. We'll link that below. Please do. <laughs> yes, so um, World Information Transfer, um, we, we essentially believe that if people are informed about the environment and what's happening with the environment, then um, everyone is willing to do something. And I think that's the movement we have going on now. People are more inform informed about what's actually going on to the environment. And we are holding companies accountable. We've been doing that since 1986 when it was established. Now, how did you find the program here at Columbia then? Was it through your work with uh, World Information Transfer? It's, it's very connected. So while I was, uh, when I started interning at the UN, um, I kept meeting people from all over the world. I mean, of course, right? It's yeah. the United Nations. And I met a friend, uh, one of my best friends right now, her name is Priyanka Tilak, and she worked for the mission of Mauritius to the UN. And she introduced me to one of her other friends. Um, her name is Helen. So Helen told me about the program and being in the program, what she liked about it, what she didn't like about it. And she was quite honest by telling me that um, when the program first started, they did not have that many classes. But now they introduced many more classes. Um, the program is getting stronger as time goes on and which we can all, you know, assess to. So... Helen told me about a program and I just did so much research on it, you know, and it took me a year to apply. Okay. I, I looked at um, all options and I came in with the idea that I want to study something that has to do with um, energy development, you know, <laughs> energy development, specifically energy development in Africa, because I want to work on development issues in Africa. And I think that's one of the biggest topics that if, if we can deal with the energy development in Africa, then we can almost work on every other area around it. And then you and I were actually in Professor LaRocco's Energy and Sustainable Development class in the fall of 2015. And that was definitely a class that it wasn't what it, I expected, but it turned out to be very informative. And I think 
that you definitely brought a great deal of knowledge to that. And it was always interesting seeing both you and him go back and forth because you brought a much different view of how energy development in developing nations, namely Africa, how that should look as compared to how it looks now. So that was really cool to see that interaction. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I sometimes think um, prof- that professor was just amazing. Let's just put it out there. Like he was just great and his, he had so much knowledge of just energy development itself in Africa because he worked there mm-hmm. for so long. But I think there's an idea of what Africa is and what Africa should be that's sometimes wrong. When okay. I still get get um, has the question, do you wear clothes in Africa? Really? Seriously, it's 2016, <laughs> right? I still get these questions. So I think people think we're way back, and we, we're really not. The the continent is developing in an immense space, um, in, like just amazing development is happening. And I think what that class did for me more than anything else, it introduced me to the subject better than I knew it. Okay. And I think it was very tangible and it was feasible. And um, a, a term that he liked to use a lot, which is vested interest. And he talked about it quite often. And if you do your research very well, you realize that it's it's quite difficult to start a project in, in African countries. And I don't want to, you know, generalize everything. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's doable in a very small space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just reminds me of one of the anecdotes that he used in the beginning of the semester was that there's all of these programs that work on the idea of giving things away and how those often fall very flat. And I remember hearing this interview with some guy, he was African, and they were asking him what he thought about Tom's shoes and that whole program. And he just turns to the camera and goes, you know we have shoe stores in Africa. (laughs) And that's, it's so simple. But for some reason, that was so formative for me, I think, just because I look at them going, I actually never thought that way. And it's a little embarrassing for me to admit that. But, oh, wow, how do these systems in which we're trying to just go here have this? What is that actually impacting and who is that really serving? So I think that class was really formative for me in that it showed me a way of thinking about these subjects that went beyond, here we have an answer, take it. Well, it's sort of like also the global community is a reality. It's becoming a thing. It's like globalization is happening. And I think people feel removed from Africa specifically. I mean, other developing countries as well. And so it's just kind of like people feel removed and they're sort of like contributions and efforts to improve life in Africa. It's like they're, they don't have a fundamental understanding of how things actually are going on. Like you're saying, sort of the disparity between what Africa is and what people expect it to be and that they're wrong about their assumptions in a lot of cases. Absolutely. Um, just to go back on the Tom Shoes idea, um, I, I started the shoe project. This was maybe about a year ago with some friends. And we were talking to people like, Man, because it is true. There, there are pe- even though we have shoe stores, there are people who actually don't have shoes in certain parts of Africa. I say certain because there are other parts where people have a thousand shoes, right? Just like here, right? There are other, in areas in America where people have maybe five cars. Other areas where people don't have any cars, you know. So the same, I it it goes straight back to just looking at the continent, just as you look at your um, looking at the con- the countries in the continent, just. As you look at your country, where you're from, and realize that even though we are different, we're really not that different. 
But to talk about the shoe thing, um, I started a project called Shoes for School. And the idea was to provide shoes for children that are walking to schools barefoot. And the, I ran into funding issues, but then I also ran into friends asking me a question like, why are you giving them shoes? You know? Why are you doing the same thing as um, the, the time effect? And then I somewhat paused the project to think about the effect I'm having. So then what do I do next? We're still in that area. <laughs> but you're trying to focus on energy. Yes, absolutely. And you've expressed before that you want to go back to Africa and you want to work. Now I'm going to pause here and segue a little bit. Is it just Gambia or is it the Gambia? Because I've heard it both ways and I know one is correct more so than the other one. The Gambia. It's the Gambia. And the name comes from the Gambian River. Okay. And it's along the river. It's yes. shaped like this, right? Yes. Like <laughs> Knowing that you want to do energy, energy development or just... Are you thinking energy policy? Are you thinking more along the lines of business development? What's your kind of focus and uh, trajectory here on out? I have no idea. <laughs> I literally have no idea. That's why I'm in the program. But Honest I, enough answer. Right? Do you, feel, do you feel that the program is facilitating you sort of figuring that out so far? Absolutely. I think that class helped out a lot. And I'm taking another class this um, summer, um, solar project development, mm -hmm. right? To get more in depth with the actual the, the actual projects that I want to work on. And then who knows after that? I do have this idea that, like, for example, we have um, blackouts all the time, especially in my country, sometimes for 12 hours, 12 hours out of the day or a few hours. But when it happens at night, we use candles and those candles can, you know, cause fire health effects, you know, so on. So how how can we um, actually change from using candles to, you know, an instrument that provides light in the house, but then does not burn the house down, you know? So these, these kind of ideas are brewing in my head. And I would like to start a project that does that, but I don't know like where to start, how to do it, you know? And that's the, I think that's the, that's the, the beauty of this program where I think I'm learning the skills to actually go on to, to do the things that I want to do in my country. Yeah, it's like gaining the tools because you have the goal in mind and it's kind of like how to go about it and like there's not a precedent. So sort of like gaining the tools. Yeah, the just like Absolutely. little steps. And I think um, Professor Loraco did a very good job making you realize that if you start a very big project, things are sometimes much harder, right? But if you, if you have an idea like, okay, let's start it small and then you can build from that from one country to the next country, to the neighboring countries, you know, or one village to the next village to the neighboring villages, you know. Someone so. that my mom worked with, she was in charge of a charitable organization and that was a point that she made. She was like, you know, large scale projects that have like these huge overarching goals are not successful. Smaller projects and like a multitude of those that target smaller regions, like smaller communities and are just sort of like more simple, it's one simple project, that those are more effective. As far as like... Yeah, I mean, they, they can be, but it's it depends on the, um, the institution that, that holds a project. I mean, if I just wanted to start a big project right now, I mean, it would be very hard for me to do it because the resources I have. Mm -hmm. But if uh, an entity, let's just say as the United Nations or agencies of the UN, right, if they wanted to start these projects, they probably have the capacity too. I don't have the capacity myself. Now, do you think that your current situation with the UN, do you think that will help facilitate, 
I guess, either partnerships or opportunities for you to actually pursue this? Or are you going to have to break clean away? No, I think it does because of the people I have met at the UN that are so um, excited about working on um, development issues itself. Um, I'm sure you know of the sustainable development goals Mm -hmm. that the UN has been working on for the past, I'll say, three, four years, and it was adopted this past September um, with 17 goals and 169 targets. And the UN is very excited about it, and they are really trying to get everyone involved. But I do want to clarify one thing that I... People somewhat think I work for the UN, but I don't work for the UN. Mm-hmm. I work for an NGO at the UN. So we are somewhat the lobbyists at the UN. Okay. That are telling um, governments as well as um, agencies how we feel about the current situations mm-hmm. and providing scientific proof of the current situations and then um, lobbying for certain issues to be um, in place in, in, in documents that are adopted. So it's consultation with the UN. Yes, it's consultation with the UN. Given the current climate, I know we've been speaking a lot on Suspect about the presidential election and the race that's going on. Oh my God. (laughs) So that's an insight into how you're feeling about this. What's your take? Um, You've been here for, what was it now, 14 years? It will be 15. 15? Yeah. Okay. So being a spectator of... American politics in that time, what have you seen change since you first got here and what's good about that and what's bad about that? What's going on through your lens? I think what's good about it is is that we're actually seeing people realize that the system is not working for everyone and people are upset. I think that's the one good thing we can say. But every single thing else is bad about it. There's a specific respect that the president of the United States holds on the world platform, that I think it's being disrespected by Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. The entire Republican <laughs> Party, Seriously. man. I know. I mean, I the level of respect. It's, there, there it's Repu- shameful. It's I absolutely. think there are certain Republicans that have, I mean, that have done, I think, a decent job of avoiding that, right? But at the same time, the one that did not avoid it and could not avoid it. When they, Donald Trump literally pulled Marco Rubio to his corner so they can start talking about penis sizes. You're running for the presidency. You don't talk about these things. I guess the current state of politics is not something that we're necessarily proud of. But what is something positive that you are seeing now? Something either academically or politically or professionally that you're really kind of jiving with at this point? I mean, I would say the idea that sustainability is getting to the mainstream. Okay. And environmental um, policies are being looked at and being talked about on the global stage. Mm-hmm. And everyone is talking about it. I mean, we hear a lot of negative news about the things that are happening in the world. But there's so many positive, positive messages. I mean, great things happening. A lot of young people that are involved in implementing these issues in general. And I hear a lot of these stories, not only at the UN, but also at Columbia. And just meeting people in general. And they are telling me all the amazing things that are happening in the world. And I think the problem with the news is is that you, you get such a small glimpse of the world for a short amount of time. And then you run on that. If some of the positive messages were, were being shared, and I think social media does a good job of showing that. And you, you see what you want to see on social media. You follow the people you want to follow. And you befriend the people you want to befriend. 
and people always say that oh you see all these negative things on social media but i see a lot of positive things on social media because i follow positive people <laughs> and i think it's just that simple so overall you definitely bring a much different lens to the table it's something that is i feel is really refreshing and that's extremely enriching i think for the program as a whole absolutely it I provides agree. opportunities like this which i'm eternally grateful for this is great seriously well thank you the we... two of you are doing an amazing job this is awesome well we need people like you to come and talk to us anytime. we very much appreciate it i'll come back anytime and talk i love talking <laughs> i do it every day yes. <laughs> well thank you for showing up thank you for taking time out of your day and sitting down with us we really appreciate it we appreciate the nice things you've said and definitely the aspects and viewpoints that you bring not just to colombia and our program but the united nations situation and our community at large absolutely i'm grateful to have been here thank you Anytime, seriously. Much appreciated. Thank you. All right. Any last words before you head out? Um, don't vote for the Republicans. Please, just don't. Just short and simple. Not this time, at least. Yeah, not this Another time. Another time, you can, you can really look at the candidates. Not this time. Not, not this time. Yeah, I mean, they have... They, no. Just please don't. All right. So, once again, thank you. We really appreciate your support. We are now featured on Stitcher Radio. You can check us out in the link below if you're on SoundCloud right now or if you're through our WordPress page. So we are continuing to try to expand our reach. So lots of exciting developments, once again, with this podcast, with politics, with science and technology, and we hope to continue bringing that to you on a very regular basis. Thank you, guys. Last thoughts? Enjoy the conversation we had with Modu. It really was great. And I was finally able to sit, up, sit in on the interview, which I haven't been able to the last two times, so I think it was really great to have the three of us sitting down and talking. Um, yep, so that's all. Thanks for clicking in. <laughs> all right. All right. And as always, I'd like to thank Zale for providing our intro and outro music. You can find Zale's music available on soundcloud.com slash justzale. That's J-U-S-T-Z-A-Y-L-E. Additional music this episode was provided by Roulette from the album Home Again. We will be linking that below, and that is available for download from the Free Music Archive. So... Check them out, and once again, thanks for listening, and check us out on Stitcher Radio. We will provide all the links that we referenced throughout the episode down below in the description.
gonna say something else. I don't remember. <laughs> Composting. Composting. Fixes. Systematic. Problematic. I don't know. I got distracted when you said that you say problematic all the time because I was like, a lot of people say problematic a lot. You're gonna edit this out. Anyway, <laughs> more coffee.